Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for Sunday, August 11th, 2019. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Dan McClintock, Minister of Missions and Family Life at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, God's Calling for You. Thank you, Lori, for sharing your gift of music with us. That was beautiful. I realized in going over my sermon after I'd written it that it's a little heavy on drawing from our experience in France. And that could be because we're leaving this afternoon to spend 12 days there. So France, I guess, was pretty much on my mind. But I think that some of the things that I've drawn from our experience there are certainly applicable to the subject at hand. While I was working with university students in Toulouse, I co-pastored a small church there with a pastor from New Zealand. Murray grew up in India where his parents were missionaries, and he first arrived in France as a university student studying in the town of Le Mans. He and I were about the same age, and we shared very similar philosophies of ministry and theological perspectives. Murray spoke French beautifully, and working alongside him inspired and challenged me to constantly improve my French. We did some creative things at the church to try to reach out to the community, like English conversation classes. French people study English in school, but many of them don't actually speak it very well. For some reason, they all learn in school how to say, my tailor is rich. Very useful phrase. (laughs) So if you ask a a stranger if he or she speaks English, very often you'll hear, my tailor is rich, (laughs) which means, no, I don't speak English. (laughs) We also did movie nights for a while at the church, American movies, which French people love, followed by lively discussions about the film. At the time, there was a French TV show where five or six people sat around and discussed the latest movies. Not critics, mind you, just normal people. And believe it or not, it was one of the most popular shows on TV. At one of our movie nights, Just as the film ended, I overheard a young woman sitting behind me say to her friend, Oh great, here comes the part where they serve communion and try to make us join their church. You see, even in France, people have bad stereotypes about Baptists. (laughs) But it really wasn't like that at all. Just a movie and discussion. 
Anyway, one day Murray and I decided to go and visit a family, former members of our church, who had moved to Andorra, a small principality between France and Spain in the Pyrenees Mountains. When we set out in the morning from Toulouse for the two to three hour drive, it was a sunny day with temperatures in the 50s. We should have checked the weather forecast because when we reached the mountains, we were traveling along narrow, winding roads in what seemed like a blizzard. If you've ever been to the Pyrenees or if you've watched the Tour de France on TV, you might know that the French don't bother much with little safety precautions like guardrails. It didn't take much encouragement from me for Murray to stop at the first opportunity, and we went into a pub to wait out the storm. I remember us talking about how each of us first got involved in doing ministry and about the difficulties of doing ministry in France. No doubt, France is a beautiful place to live and a great place to raise a family. But ministry there is very slow and very difficult. Just as an example, it takes a new church about 20 years to become established and financially independent. Murray had been in France longer than I had, and I wondered out loud how he could keep working so diligently and creatively with all of the frustrations and disappointments that went with the territory. He told me that when he was a student in Le Mans, he saw how lonely and isolated some of his fellow students were. Without hope is how he described them. And he said he felt called at that time to share his reason for hope with them. That's when he decided to stay in France and become a pastor. Anytime he got frustrated or discouraged, he tried to remember why he was there to give people a reason to hope and to share with them the good news of a God who loved them. In keeping with my French introduction, the sermon title I chose is a double entendre. God, God's calling for you. As in, God is calling for you. And also, God has a calling or a vocation for you. It's both and. God is calling for you, and God has a calling for you. God is calling for you. I believe that our primary calling in life is to be people, a people who live in communion with God. I'm sure you're familiar with the words of Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French, of course, mathematician, writer, inventor, and theologian, who said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any creative thing, but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Jesus. 
In other words, there's a part of each one of us that cannot be fully satisfied apart from a relationship with God, apart from somehow being in communion with God. St. Augustine, is in his confession, calls God the hound of heaven who relentlessly tracks us down and draws us to God. So not only does God desire more than anything else for us to be in communion with God, God also takes the initiative in reaching out to us and drawing us in. God is calling you. Sometimes you may hear God's voice through nature, in the grandeur of the mountains, the vastness of the oceans, or the joyful sound of a bubbling brook. God may speak to you through our worship this morning, miracle of miracles, in scripture, in the words that are spoken and sung, in the prayers that are offered. Or you may hear God's voice best through the actions of others, the kindness of a stranger, the counsel of a friend, the selfless giving of another. Or perhaps God speaks to you most clearly through your own acts of service that you, as you provide care for others. If we listen carefully in countless ways, God is calling for us, calling us into communion. As I used to tell my students, my fear is that we are too constantly plugged in to hear God's voice, plugged into our phones, our TVs, our car stereos, our social media, our iTunes, whatever, an endless barrage of noise. God is calling for you. Maybe we need to create space somewhere so that we can hear God's voice. As God calls us into communion, we're also called into community, into relationship with one another. Which commandment is the greatest, Jesus was asked. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When speaking with his disciples, Jesus altered the second commandment a little bit. Rather than love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, love your neighbor as I have loved you. The hard part of that isn't loving the people who are most like us, the people we are naturally drawn to, the ones we find easy to love. As Jesus pointed out, the hard part is loving the Samaritan, the one who is different from you, the neighbor whose skin color is not the same as yours, who lives on the other side of the tracks, who speaks a different language, who practices a different religion, 
or whose sexuality doesn't quite match up with yours. I'm pretty sure in today's context, it means loving those people at the border. We can disagree on what immigration policies are needed, but feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, providing a safe place for those whose lives are threatened, isn't that what we as followers of Christ are called to do? As an American living in France, I experienced discrimination for the first time in my life. Mild discrimination, not anything like what's happening at our southern border. But I experienced what it was like to be considered an outsider. I had two very different experiences at a government building in Toulouse when I went there to get my visitor's permit, carte de séjour, renewed. When you think of French government bureaucrats, you need to think going to the DMV to get your driver's license renewed. The first time, we hadn't been in the country for very long, and I'm sure that my French was atrocious. But after waiting in a long line, I finally arrived at the counter and haltingly tried to tell the woman behind the counter what I needed. Without saying a word, she almost immediately put up the sign that said, Ferme, closed. Maybe she was just having a bad day. Fortunately, the other people behind me in the line came to my defense and argued loudly enough that she relented and allowed me to get my permit renewed. Several years later, I was at the same government office for the same reason. This time, the waiting room was crowded with people whose skin color was darker than mine, probably Moroccans and Algerians, if I had to guess. They had a system by then whereby you drew a number and waited for your number to be called. When I went up to the counter to get my number, one of the women behind the counter said, you don't have to take a number. I can help you now. She said that because the others in the room weren't white like me. Believe me, I was tempted because I didn't want to wait behind all those people. But I remembered my previous experience there when people came to my defense, and so I waited. We were in France during the first Gulf War when the U.S. staged a massive bombing and artillery attack against Saddam Hussein during the night. I was on an overnight train from a meeting in Paris when that happened, and I woke up to hear several teenagers talking about how Americans are warmongers. Later that week, I left the house in the morning to take our children to school, and someone had written, A bas les Américains, down with the Americans, in chalk 
on the street in front of our house. I got home 15 minutes later to find two of our neighbors with buckets of water cleaning the words away. In the big, big scheme of things, these are minor annoyances. Nothing like what blacks or gay people or immigrants or Muslims might have to endure in our own country today. But it did give me a glimpse of what it's like to be an outsider, to be discriminated against because I didn't speak the language yet, or because of my nationality, and it's not a good feeling. As followers of Christ, we're called to treat our neighbors with dignity and respect, with love and compassion. The other thing that all of us as followers of Christ are called to is service. Jesus put it this way, Whoever wishes to save his or her life will lose it, but whoever loses his or her life for my sake will find it. Losing your life for the sake of Christ, to me, means being able to put your selfish desires aside, at least for some of the time, in order to try to make life a little better for others. We are all called to serve others. And Park Road provides many ways for us to do do just that, from homeless ministries to volunteering with school children to singing in the choir or serving as a deacon or leading a connection group or participating in worship. And of course, there are many ways to be of service to others outside the church, in your neighborhoods or schools or places of business. Usually when we talk about vocation or calling, we're talking about what we do for a living. Russ talked about this recently when he addressed an earlier part of this scripture passage. He and Chelsea quoted Frederick Beekner, who said, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. We might be called to be teachers, engineers, doctors, lawyers, brick masons, artists, writers, financial consultants, bankers, painters, stay-at-home dads, translators, realtors, farmers, lab technicians. We might consider just about any type of work to be a calling, but perhaps the standard of where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet is an idealistic and too lofty standard. Sometimes work just seems like work. But I think our calling includes much more than just the work that we do or the job that we go to every day. Lee Hardy, who wrote... Phenomenological Philosophy of the Physical Sciences. That title alone makes him authority an authority in my book. 
said an occupation is only one element in the total configuration of my vocation. After I've done my job, I still have other things to do as a spouse, a parent, a parishioner, a neighbor, and a citizen. Not to mention the fact that I'm also called to rest on the Sabbath. If I pour myself into my work with nothing left over to give my spouse, my children, my church, my community, or my country, I have neither heard nor heeded the full scope of God's call on my life. All of us have other callings to which we are called, to be a brother or sister, a parent, a faithful friend, a caregiver, a loving spouse. Only as we attend to all of these roles may we find the happiness of which the writer of Ecclesiastes speaks. Then we may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all that we do, in our work and in our relationships, for these are a gift of God. May it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.